0: Now, to go back to what we were saying about the Syracuse connection to Jordan, this this clip is about a minute and a half here. But just, just go on this audio journey with me here for a moment. Beyond winning another title, the world's most renowned athlete has one goal, to keep his team together. A team that has won the NBA championship in the last five full seasons in which Michael Jordan has played a team that has become one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports. But the future of the Bulls remains uncertain, which is why every remaining Bulls game is something to savor.
1: Tonight, Michael Jordan plays in what could be his final regular season game, and he plays it against the New York Knicks, an opponent Jordan has tortured over the years, a team that barely avoided a first-round date with
0: Chicago. And so, a team that could be facing Michael Jordan for the last time tonight. The Knicks and the Bulls next. Takes you back, doesn't it? I found that on YouTube today and I said, damn, doesn't that take you back? Takes you back to a different time. Those produced opens, that music I play it all the time on the show. That's what this documentary is going to be about. What's going to take us back to, but uh, I'm sure you've picked up on it by now. Haven't you? The Syracuse Connection. Bob Costas, the voice of the NBA on NBC for a long time. Let's go back to. One of the most famous plays Jordan ever had. The look away to Livingston. Jordan.
1: Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. That's 13 consecutive field goals. 1991
0: finals. Jordan against the Lakers. Magic Johnson, the last stand of showtime. And by the way, he didn't even have to switch hands. He goes up with his right maybe thinking anticipating could be i'm sure they're going to discuss it in the last dance that someone's going to jump up and defend that shot and he just goes to his left for no reason other than he can and he made it and that is an iconic call from marv Valbert, syracuse grad. let's go to the nineteen ninety two nba finals just a year after that <laughs> Jordan at the offensive end of the floor, the ability Second. to hang just long enough to get that good look at the front of the rim. Tremendous concentration by Mike. The Bulls, only 2 of 11 from the field. Jordan again from three-point land. Now Jordan posting up. Goes to the fadeaway. through the
1: foul. It comes. Drexler picking up his first.
0: Comes out, game one, Portland Trailblazers. It was over before halftime. And I don't mean the game. I mean the series. Portland was done. And that was a good Portland Trailblazers team. Clyde Drexler, one of many players that Jordan kind of kept from winning a title at that time. Who went on to win with the Rockets, right? But you you think of Charles Barkley, think of Carl Malone, John Stockton players, That Jordan prevented from having the opportunity to win a title, let alone blocked from winning a title. Gary Payton and that Seattle Sonics team back in the day. Sean Kemp. I know Sean Kemp became famous for other things as his career went around, but he was an amazing player with that Sonics squad. The list goes on. More names will pop in my head as we're going here. Part of what makes the allure and the appeal of Michael Jordan, a small part, is that you had Marv Albert. And Bob Costas there to chronicle it all. Two of the more famous Syracuse broadcasters, of course, to ever come through. Two iconic voices of sports. Marv, certainly more associated with the NBA, though he called a lot through his career and continues to call a lot through his career. Costas, of course, more associated with baseball. But at that time, when Jordan was must-see television, when he was compelling got to see it television at a time when, yeah, there was cable TV and we were starting to get other options pulling us here and pulling us there. You could not miss Michael Jordan. You couldn't. Few were the haters, unless, I know Nick fans, as we heard Costas in the open I played a moment ago, Chronicle. No bigger thorn in your side, maybe Reggie Miller certainly, but no bigger thorn in your side that prevented Patrick Ewing There's a name from winning a championship that probably should have before, of course, 1999 comes around and the Knicks win in that lockout season with Jordan having moved on, with Jordan having passed through. Well, no, the Knicks didn't win in 99, but Ewing in his prime in the 90s, all those playoff matchups, Jordan denied him. The Bulls denied him. You couldn't miss it. Jordan became the most famous athlete on the planet. He became the biggest name on the planet. The commercial superstar, everything. You couldn't miss it because I just only played two highlights. I could have played highlights the rest of the show. We're going to do the top five Jordan, or top six Jordan moments, pardon me, later in the show. But what I am excited about is either getting more perspective on things we've heard through the years or what we're going to learn the the behind-the-scenes footage, to hear that there's just this footage of chronicling that team for the entire last season that sat on a shelf and we're all going to first together in this, I think, what is it? It's either eight or ten parts. I think it's ten parts. Ten hours. This ten-hour documentary that we're going to get. And it just fits into the era of sports we're in right now, what we've been kind of forced into right now. Watching old games and hopefully getting a new perspective on it. But documentaries, the 30 for 30 series, when done right, is just gripping television. Netflix was involved in this. It's interesting all the cooks in the kitchen on this. ESPN, 30 for 30, Netflix helped produce part of this. NBA Entertainment owned the rights to the lost footage. Jordan had to sign off on this. Jordan's people had to sign off. You can't do this without Jordan, right? You just can't. They did, the same director, by the way, did the Fab Five, the Michigan one. They didn't have Weber for that. They still pulled it off. It was great. But there was something missing, and that something was Chris Weber. And Chris Weber's in the media, by the way, but when it comes to the Fab Five and looking back on that and the sanctions that came from it and the fallout from it, Weber's never been really that open to discussing it. You can't do this without Jordan. And not only did he do it, he is heavily centered on it. They did three separate interviews with him. Hours of footage. And to hear this week that he's a little concerned, like his concern is how people are going to look at this and say, boy, I didn't know Michael Jordan was that big of an a-hole. I didn't know Michael Jordan did that. I mean, there's legendary stories. Now, by the way, Jordan would go play 36 holes of golf, show up and score 42 in a playoff game. Jordan would be out till eight in the morning at some Atlantic City casino after they played the Knicks show up to play the Knicks or whoever was next on the schedule that day. And you would never know it. I mean, the flu game, think about the most, one of the most iconic moments in Jordan's career. Was it really the flu or was he hung over? No, it was the flu. or I think it was actually food poisoning. Technically he was whatever it was. The guy couldn't even stand during timeouts, and he's out there beating the Utah Jazz in the NBA Finals. So it is a mix of romance. there's a mix of building up our athletes, maybe on a pedestal they should not be put on. It seems all these athletes we discuss, and again, which makes the criticism of LeBron James utterly ridiculous to me. Think of Tiger Woods, even, okay, who serially cheated, on his wife. We've heard the legendary stories of this, the Thanksgiving story, right? It only endears him to people more because he's he's a bro like me, right? Not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's just how certain people look at it. Jordan and the stories that we know are legendary and think of the ones we don't. But we're going to get that light shined on it in this documentary. And it just, part of me is excited about just a little bit of Syracuse that will be sprinkled into this. I'm probably forgetting some Syracuse connections in this that will pop in my head when we start to watch it on Sunday, but Costas, Marv Albert, the voices that chronicled this, when you look at the highlights of Jordan, Jordan pushing off on Byron Russell, and he did push off in those finals in 98, that's Costas calling that game, or Albert calling that game, or discussing it in some way. I always like when there's a big national story like this and you can always connect it to Syracuse somehow. You can always connect it. It's always more interesting to me when you can can play the six degrees game or don't even have to go that far, one or two degrees. See, oh yeah, that's Costas, that's Albert. That's a Syracuse guy that was right there telling the nation about that. I can't wait for this Sunday night. It feels good to anticipate something. And then following that, it'll be draft week, the draft coming up next Thursday. Can't you feel your demeanor as a sports fan change? Starting to feel, even anticipating a documentary, we become more used to recycling old sports in some way. But this, the first time I saw this trailer, I remember we talked about it on the show. We played the audio on the show. It was like a year ago. We're like, whoa. Time out. <laughs> this is different. This looks amazing. And then you hear the backstory of the lost footage, and it's like, okay, I'm in. I am in, and the fact they moved it up, thank you. Thank you, and Nice to not get electric shocks from Bristol. I will praise the overlords of Bristol. Thank you for moving this up. We needed this, man. I think it's going to do gangbusters, race. Oh, by the way. To their credit, as we go to break here, we'll do some hot takes coming up. To their credit, ESPN is going to run this with swear words, uncensored. There is going to be a censored version, if you prefer to have the naughty words beeped out, if you want to watch it with the kids or whatever, on ESPN 2. But the uncensored F-bombs in all version will air on ESPN. And I like that they're doing that. I think it'll just kind of capture the rawness of it. Let's talk to somebody now who we love talking draft and football with. You can find his work at CBS Sports. Follow him on social media, especially as we get closer to the draft here. Chris Trapasso back with us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. (coughs) Chris, how you doing, bud?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Brent. Thanks for having me again.
0: Absolutely. Everybody's safe and well and uh, happy as can be these days.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and really, like you were saying, with the uh, draft being in a week uh, and this whole pre-draft process being really unprecedented, my job hasn't really changed that much. It's just been awesome having my wife at home with my two kids during this period to kind of be able to watch them when I can do radio spots or I need to write an article, stuff like that. So that's been uh, a little bit fun to navigate, but everyone's doing well.
0: Good to hear, my friend. Now, your job hasn't really changed, but what have you heard about how – Teams have had to change their approach with this whole thing. Now, they had the combine and had some pro days, but what's it been like the last month for NFL teams to to deal with this?
1: Well, a big part that we always hear about during the pre-draft process is the medicals, and that usually there is a combine recheck in Indianapolis early April. Um, They we're allowing players to get rechecked um, across the country by independent team doctors. Um, But in a lot of those States, they weren't really supposed to be traveling and and really being within six feet of anyone else. So it was kind of putting prospect in a weird situation. Um, Everything that I've heard is, is really not so much missing out on pro day figures, um, but really that we're going to go into this draft without nearly as much known on the medical side of things not just for Tua Tagovailoa but for a lot of the other prospects that have some you know bumps and bruises leading into this draft
0: so the unknowns there are interesting chris i think we know the biggest question answered in this draft and that's joe Burrow's going to go number 1 to cincinnati what's the biggest <clears throat> question mark coming into this draft or two that you you look at right now
1: yeah just uh, sticking with what I just said about Tua tonga that I think a lot of what we've heard over the past few days about that he has bad medicals, that he's been failing team physicals, uh, that some teams have taken him off their board because they're so worried about him uh, on the medical side of things. I think that's mostly a smokescreen from either the, the Miami Dolphins or maybe the L.A. Chargers that want him to slip. Um, But that's probably like the biggest unknown. Like, is it going to be a slam dunk that he goes number three overall and the Dolphins have to trade up for him? Or could we see? I don't know if it'll be an Aaron Rodgers type fall into the 20s, but could we see a lot of these rumors and speculation about Tua ultimately uh, turn out to be true and he could have a pretty memorable draft day slide? I think that's certainly uh, a possibility five days out from the draft.
0: Now, there's a few teams there. That I think it maybe starts with Miami. But So let's look at them. But who are the teams ripe to make a trade here? The Dolphins have all those picks. People want quarterbacks. I'm looking at New England saying, man, yeah, boy, they don't they have a quarterback spot to fill here? But who am I missing here? Who are the prime trade teams you're looking at right now?
1: Um, beyond the teams that you mentioned, and I think those are very good ones, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, they have two first-round picks, 12 and 19. A lot of people for the longest time thought that they're just going to stay put, maybe pick a receiver at 12, then a corner at 19. I think John Gruden and Mike Mayock, uh, after experimenting the last two years with Derek Carr, I think they want their guy at the quarterback position. They brought in Marcus Mariota in free agency, but I don't think they believe he's a long-term solution at that position. Um And strangely, a team that's been brought up um, with a a lot of speculation about trading up, the Atlanta Falcons. And there's even some thought that Ian Rappaport uh, from NFL Network reported early in the week that it could maybe even be for a quarterback, the successor for Matt Ryan. I don't necessarily think that will be the direction in which they go, but Thomas Dimitroff, their GM, Famously traded up for Julio Jones. He's traded up in the past. He's not afraid to be aggressive. He's kind of like Brandon Bean in that way. Um, I think the Falcons could be the surprise team that could move up, maybe pick a corner, maybe pick an offensive tackle on Thursday night.
0: Chris, you brought up Brandon Bean. I love what he's done with the the Bills and the drafts, the wheeling and dealing, the selections he's made. But they traded their first-round pick, essentially for Stephon Diggs, right? They were going to go receiver there, one would think. But what else do the Bills absolutely need to do in this draft?
1: They need to just add some depth on the defensive side of the ball that I think, with how good Buffalo's defense has been the first three years under Sean McDermott, it's easy for fans to assume uh, that they're just going to have this great defense every year. But we know in the NFL uh, success is fleeting. If you don't have a good free agent period, and certainly if you don't have a good draft, so cornerback and edge rusher, I think in the first with the bills, first two picks second and third round. And after that, a running back uh, to compliment Devin Singletary, that you love what he did as a rookie. He's going to go into camp and then into the start of the regular season as the team's top runner. But it's all running back by today, as everyone knows, and the Bills, after P.J. Yeldon, don't really have – anyone in the backfield that they can probably lean on as the number two running back. So those would be probably the three biggest needs um, for a roster that, you're right, Brandon Bean has done a great job assembling over these past two years.
0: Chris DiPasso is our guest, CBS Sports, talking some NFL draft. Make sure you follow us stuff uh, leading up to the draft, uh, which is just uh, six short days away. Chris, looking at the Giants and the Jets, a lot of fans of those teams around here as well, so kind of same question. What 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 do they have to come out of this draft with?
1: Well, both clubs, ironically, need offensive tackle. And obviously, the Giants have the upper hand there with the number 4 overall pick. They'll probably have the pick of the litter in what is a very top-heavy offensive tackle class. I think Tristan Wirks from Iowa um, would make a ton of sense. He would help Saquon Barkley. He would help insulate Daniel Jones inside the pocket that he had a lot of problems dealing with pressure as a rookie when he was protected. Well, Daniel Jones played decently and, and and at times looked like a franchise quarterback. So the same thing for the Jets too, that Sam Darnold can be turnover prone um, when he's not protected. His footwork gets a little antsy, but the Jets need to even add more offensive line help beyond what they did in free agency, bringing in some depth guys and then with the Jets, a little sprinkle, too. They could use more wide receiver help. Uh, they lost Robbie Anderson. They don't have a lot of premier weapons for Sam Darnold. And just looking up to Buffalo, they can say, well, look what the Bills did for Josh Allen, Cole Beasley, John Brown Lasher, and now Stephon Diggs. The Jets need to do the same uh, for their former uh, first-round pick in 2018, Sam Darnold.
0: Chris, there's a few Syracuse players that want to hear their names called in this upcoming draft. Let's start with the defensive guys. Alton Robinson, Kendall Coleman. What's your analysis of them?
1: I have Alton Robinson as my number 160 overall player. I think he certainly should and will get drafted. Um, He's just solid across the board. There's nothing truly spectacular about his game, and obviously he had a more productive 2018 than he did in 2019. That was kind of the case for a lot of these Uh, Syracuse players as they had kind of a a down year um, under Dino Babers, but he's good with his hands, he has good burst off the line of scrimmage, pretty good bend, he's not a crazy athlete but I think uh, he's someone that will start as a number three or a number four edge rusher and then work his way into more of a full-time role later in his NFL career. And Kendall Coleman, to me, um, if I was a general manager, I would pick him in the sixth or the seventh round without much much hesitation because he's a little smaller, he's not a crazy athlete, but it's almost as if he understands that, and he is so good with his pass rushing moves. He has a variety of ways that he can just beat blockers one-on-one. And when you're getting into the later portions of the draft, yes, you could go – Take a flyer on a Supreme athlete who's not that great of a football player. You also can pick a really good football player that might not have the standard athletic traits. I really like Kendall Coleman's film as kind of an overachiever at the edge rusher spot.
0: I'm intrigued by Tristan Jackson in this sense, Chris. As you know, this is one of the deepest wide receiver drafts ever, really, certainly in recent memory. Could that help him in a way because so many receivers are going to come off the board?
1: Yeah, actually, I mean, initially you would think, oh, with this deep wide receiver class, it's going to push some of the late-round guys down, but it's a deep class in that we're going to get five or six guys in the first round, which is a huge number, and then second to fourth round, where you see a, a few good players picked there traditionally, um, but this year we're going to see a huge clump from, like, pick 35 to 105. So once you get to the third day of the draft, I think there will be teams that will be still looking for wide receiver help that either missed out on some of the guys or want to double up. Um, Once they get to the sixth or seventh round, he was invited to the combine, had a pretty good workout there. Um, I could see him being picked in the sixth or the seventh round.
0: And I know uh, Punter is not the sexiest position to discuss. Uh, I don't know if he'll get drafted, but it would seem to me Sterling Hoffrichter from Syracuse would be high-priority free agent. Where does he rank amongst the punters available?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably somewhat far down the list, but uh, that's what teams have kind of started to do with the punting position that... We'll see maybe one or two drafted early, um, uh, like based on that position, sixth or seventh round, uh, maybe even in the fifth round. We've seen that in the last couple of years. But he will be in a training camp uh, this summer if we have a normal training camp competing maybe for a backup job. And you never know, like with the Bills, like they've switched around their punters a lot, whether it be hang time or directional punting teams have you know, specifics that they want at that position. Uh, But, yes, I definitely think that he punted well enough in college uh, that he will be wearing an NFL helmet this summer.
0: Chris, always appreciate your time and your insight. Keep up the good work. We're getting closer to the draft, and uh, we'll be following leading up to it and uh, certainly reading your analysis afterwards, my friend. Uh, And and stay safe and healthy. Enjoy the time with your family, and we'll talk soon.
1: All right, Brent. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, buddy. That's Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. If you don't follow him, get on that.